Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. This is episode 154, and today we'll be chatting with Huda Idris, the founder and CEO of DotHealth, a platform that enables secure and easy access to your personal health data. Huda began her career as a developer and designer by building websites as a teenager. She then attended the University of Toronto and studied industrial engineering before diving into startups. Huda has been part of several successful Canadian consumer tech startups, including Wattpad, where she joined as one of the first employees and really dove into product design. She also helped develop and grow several products at Wave. Huda then joined Wellsimple as one of the earliest team members and served as the chief product officer, scaling the company through a major brand shift and launching its mobile presence on both Android and iOS. Today, Huda is the founder of DotHealth, an innovative healthcare platform that makes personal health data accessible and actionable. Huda joins us to share her story, how she started her career in tech, some of the biggest lessons she's learned building consumer technology startups, what it's been like building .health, and much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet at us at hack to start drop us an email, hey at hacktostart.com, or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review. Good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. Hey, Huda. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We're super excited to you know, have you on the show and get the chance to speak with you about all the things that you've been doing and what you're currently up to. So before we get into all that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Like, where are you from and what did you study? Sure. So I grew up in the beautiful city of Jeddah in Saudi Arabia, and I moved to Toronto to go to the University of Toronto's engineering program. That's really cool. And so like what drew you to, I guess, Toronto family probably, but like what uh, what drew you in, in, into that field, I guess? I come from a from a family of entrepreneurs and engineers and Saudi is actually a fairly young country and so doesn't have a lot of really old schools. And so all of my siblings, and I'm one of six, went to study for post-secondary education outside of the country. And I had my pick of really anywhere uh, that I wanted that was known for engineering and really found U of T's engineering program really compelling. It was between that and Cornell. And I'm really glad I picked U of T. That's awesome. And we're glad to, you know, that, that you picked U of T as well. I mean, I'm, I'm based in Ottawa, but uh, Toronto's a great city to be in and love that you decided to come here for school. No, I think it was it was the right call. There's a lot of uh, really entrenched culture. It's one of the oldest engineering schools in the country. It takes a ton of pride in its alum and some of the things that we've been able to accomplish. And I mean, I liked my time at U of T almost to like an embarrassing degree. <laughs> That's awesome. So <laughs> you mentioned that, you know, like there's uh, family roots in entrepreneurship, but how did, I guess, your passion for design and then entrepreneurship like during school or after school really develop for you? This, this goes before before undergrad. I learned programming in middle school and there was a it was just very basic. This is going back mid 2000s and I'm learning just like very basic web design and development. And what I realized is that I really liked it. I enjoyed it a lot. And I started offering to make websites for people. I ran out of all the ideas to build websites for myself. And so I like bugged my dad, all of his friends to let me build their websites. And typically they were all small business owners and that's how it started. But I basically grew this little consulting practice from the time that I was 12 all the way till almost the end of my undergrad really, where I would just make online presence for my 
small business clients. And this included anything from web and mobile sites before responsive frameworks were a thing. The concept for design really, it caught my eye and I didn't know it was a, it was an area. I feel like now design has all this cachet attached to it. But back then, I didn't think design was its own discipline. I just knew that there was development and there was technology. That's it. So that's sort of where it came about is I realized I could charge more money when I made things that spoke more authentically to my client's brand or had smoother client experiences. That's where it sort of sort of stemmed and, and I kept at it. That was actually how I got involved in the startup community as well. That's what I knew the most. That's really cool. And so then I guess, you know, you spent more time doing some of the design work and you had the opportunity to join the team at Wattpad, which is another awesome, you know, Canadian Toronto based startup yeah. as, as a UX designer. So can you tell us a little bit more about like what were some of the projects you had a chance to work on there and how did that initial experience kind of continue to shape your career as a designer? Yeah, so Wattpad was, I joined very early days before we'd raised uh, any serious run of financing. And we were, I think, hovering around the million user mark sort of globally, but not in active numbers. And the job as advertised was for a quality assurance analyst. And I really joined it. I mean, that I don't know about you, but that sounded super mind-numbing to me. And I convinced Alan, who used to do all the interviewing at the time, it was like a seven-person team. I convinced him to let me join as, a, as an experienced designer. And I really gave that title to myself, which is often the case in startups. And some of the projects, I mean, it's it's startup land. We're under 10 people and Alan has to make do with whatever financing he has available. And so he got me as like two roles for the price of one. I spent the first six weeks at the company developing an automated testing framework, the basics of which still exist in the company today. They've been built on top of, which is, you know, I, I'm super proud of. Uh, and then I spent the rest of the time really being able to put my finger on whatever and having the ability to to take a crack at it. So I've done probably some of my more interesting work at Wattpad. We looked at things like how to filter out content that could be trigger warning related from youth because we saw a lot of teenagers using the platform. And one of my favorite projects, I think, was the mobile discovery algorithm that I that I designed, which allowed regular users of the Wattpad mobile app to discover more stories that they would potentially like. And that saw huge success rates, probably one of my favorite ones to date. Yeah, absolutely. It's really cool. And it's always good to have that extra flexibility in like a small team at, you know, uh, a startup that's yeah. just starting to grow. Yeah, for sure. I um, I had the, you know, the, the sheer luck of being able to take a front row seat to a lot of the typical startup things that a company goes through at Wattpad. So I was there for two rounds of financing. I got to meet the likes of Vinod Kosla because he'd just like flown in to meet up with us during our Series B. And I got to really see how the team would grow. I joined when we were about seven people and it grew to about 35 people by the time I left. So it was super enriching the experience. I'm really glad next to next to my decision of choosing UFT, I think Wattpad and joining it was my best decision. Wow, really cool. And so then, you know, you ended up joining Wave uh, for a little bit as a product designer. So what was it mm -hmm. like sort of switching from the user experience design towards more of a product centric role? Yeah, I think, again, I feel like product is such a new area, especially for this community specifically. I feel like product has come in its own in the Valley and in other parts of the United States. But in Toronto, it's really been maybe maybe about a, maybe about a decade when products really come into its own as being its own community, with its own practices, with its own roles, etc. And really, in both those cases, at Wattpad and at Wave, I had the ability to pick my own title. And by the time I got to Wave, I'd learned a lot more about the field of design, what it meant professionally how people identified themselves what the different areas of design did and looked like and what I realized in retrospect was a lot of the work that I did fit under the umbrella of product design way better than it did under the typical definition of UX design and that really is is what led to the to the title change it wasn't like some huge transition for me 
Cool. And so like, how did that experience kind of continue to, I, I guess, like solidify your passion or your interest in, in sort of the, the whole process around building products? Wave is, um, I don't, I don't know if you've ever sort of like experienced that company from the inside, but it's a very special place. And I think very unique specifically in our community. So the way, the way that Wave works is it's a platform for small business owners looking to do their own accounting, invoicing, payroll management in the cloud. And what that means is that we develop a suite of tools. So Wave, you know, has six or so tools that exist as part of its offering. Some of them have payments attached to it, and some of them are more of a free product. And within the company, and now, I mean, gosh, I don't even know how big they are now, but they're doing really, really well. At the time when I was there, it was about 50 people at the company. And each of the products was its own little startup within the organization, which was very unique compared to anything that I had ever experienced before or anything that I'd read before then. And so accounting was its own little startup, for example. It had its own business development lead, which was, you know, the mini CEO of, of that team. It had its own designer, its own developers, et cetera, et cetera. And I had the opportunity to lead not one, but two teams in the company. I inherited the invoicing product when one of the other design leads who who was leading at the time left the company. And I had a very unique experience in almost managing those as little startup teams. We had our own metrics and we would look at how they impacted the overall company metrics. We looked at you know our own priorities and how they fit into the broader priorities of the company. And we got to run it on our own timelines. So we could pick within each of the teams whether we wanted to do week-long sprints, two-week sprints, whatever it was. And I really do still believe that Wave is home to the best engineering team in the city. And I don't know how they've managed to do it, but they've managed to attract and retain some of the smartest people that I've ever met. So I will always be indebted to Kirk for, for that experience. That sounds amazing. I actually just converted over to using Wave for my accounting tool. It's awesome. Awesome. So continuing your success as a designer, you, you again, joined another small and amazing startup called Wellsimple. I mean, they're probably not small mm-hmm. nowadays, but when you joined, they were <laughs> you're one of the early members and you played a yep. role of the chief product officer. Mm-hmm. So for those who may not know, what is Wellsimple and how did you create the opportunity to work there and be a part of their team? Well, simple is the easiest way to invest your money in the stock market. Uh, I think investing tends to be known as this thing that you can only do if you're a day trader, and Well, simple takes that fear away. It lets you sign up a web or mobile app, uh, assess your risk tolerance for market movement, and it creates a diversified, customized portfolio for you. So instead of picking stocks, you pick a little bit of everything, and then you watch your money grow. I got introduced to Mike, who is still the CEO at the company, through a mutual friend who we both knew at the time. You know, well, simple was sort of an idea. He sort of had something that was that was working. He was looking for a design partner to join, and I was looking to move to a smaller team. So a lot of stars really aligned for us uh, in creating that opportunity, and it worked out. It was a lot of fun. That's really cool. So, so what was the the need or want of transitioning to a more of a smaller team? I think this is always. I mean maybe we all learn about these things as we go, but I think in retrospect, I know that is the best environment for me. I thrive in teams that are small and in companies that are small because I can see my impact that much more. And I can create huge swaths of changes in very small amounts of time. Those are the times where I'm the happiest and my most productive. And that's where most of my best creative work has come out of. Um, And Wave, you know, around the time that I was leaving was about the 75 people mark. And it was a you know, clearly a very large company, you know, was doing super interesting things, but I was really itching to go work in a smaller team where I could have a much bigger impact in a smaller period of time. And as I sort of look back on my career, that's really how I've done everything is I've been my most creative and I've done my best work in in smaller teams. 
I can definitely um, understand your points there. I'm a product designer myself as well, and I, mm-hmm. I my whole career has been in startups, and I and I love how you know you can make the like you said you can make the biggest impact and do you know you have the most creative freedom when you when you're on that smaller team. So it's really cool to hear you um, say that as well. No, totally. I think it's um, I think Wattpad really spoiled me because I I turned down a, a job at Google to join Wattpad, and at the time everybody thought I was crazy, but I knew the person who took my place at Google, and I knew that during their time there they had work on a single feature that was only visible to the internal team at Google for their entire year and a half there. And during the same time, I had built the Wattpad brand, I developed their mobile product, I had basically touched every part of the company. And just seeing that very stark contrast was really, uh, really eye opening for me. I didn't, I guess, until you do it, you don't realize what the huge difference will be when you work at a several 10s of 1000s of employees company versus a seven person startup. How did you approach heading up product and what were some of the major projects that you worked on? Oh, man, Um, it would take me a very long time to talk about everything I did at Simple. I kind of did a little bit of everything and in some cases, a lot of a lot of things. So Simple, when I joined was, you know, it was like a static, basic website with three icons explaining what we did. It had no mobile product to speak of and no strategy around it. It had very little brand voice and differentiation from our competitors. And so it was a it was a huge undertaking to basically come in and say, okay, we're gonna take it piece by piece, but also really establish ourselves as this massive brand, not just within the community, but also globally. And we had global aspirations from the start. My favorite project there was when we were creating our first native app for our clients. So well, simple is about passive investing and we struggled for a long time about whether we even needed a mobile product. We didn't want people to keep looking at their the, at how their portfolio was doing. Why should we create something that makes that easier for them? And so we struggled with it quite a bit until we came to a point where, you know, we understood and all were aligned around the fact that mobile, you know, was really the way of the past. It wasn't even it wasn't even the future. It had like it was already there and we needed to catch up. As things worked out, I had about three and a half weeks and a team of about four, including myself at my disposal to create and launch from scratch two native mobile apps on Android and iOS. Of course, three and a half weeks is a is a ridiculous timeline, but we were bumping up against Christmas and we didn't want our launch to be throttled by the, the Christmas lull and had to launch it before then. And so we were really restricted on time, but that's probably some of the best work that I've done. It was a really incredible team. We had literally one developer on iOS and one developer on Android and me leading it and one other designer sort of helping me. And we managed to do it. We had a huge press cycle around it. Uh, we launched, I think it was like December 17th or something ridiculous very close to Christmas. And it was a lot of fun. It, I think, uh, made me realize how much was possible with a small, very motivated team in a small amount of time. And it was just one of the, one of the things uh, that I was part of. I mean, we did, we did a huge brand revamp during my time there. And I mean, that changed a lot of what we did, allowing people to start investing using their mobile phones. We were the first company in Canada to allow people to sign up and invest their money and watch it be invested and moving on the stock market uh, within five minutes. And that was huge and unprecedented. And I just had a lot of fun with it. That's amazing. I love those stories, you know, when you're just you have that tight deadline and you just get together as a group and you just make it happen. So that's that's really cool. So based on your experience building products across various tech startups, what were some of the biggest lessons you learned? 
I find most big lessons that you learn are actually really straightforward concepts that everybody tells you, but you don't realize until you're in it. And for me, it was really around team building. It was understanding and really grasping the concept of one designer to developer ratios, which I think are so important. And often startups don't take very seriously. I like the ratio of one to five. I know industry standard is one to eight. So one designer to eight developers. I like having more of a solid design team. I think it results in a much better product at the end of the day. And I think in crafting that team, I'm a huge, and I mean, I I make no secret of this, I'm a huge advocate for creating cultures of inclusivity at startups. I think we do a poor job of it, Toronto and otherwise. And it's a huge lesson that I learned in sort of all of my uh, interactions with the startup community is we do not a good enough job in promoting people of different types of thoughts and opinions, but also people of different backgrounds, both academically speaking and uh, racially and ethnically speaking. We don't do enough of that. And I think I learned the debt that you can accumulate by not doing that, as well as the benefits you can reap when you use that as an advantage compared to some of your other competition in in the space. Absolutely. That's a very important point to make and definitely an area in tech that needs to continue to improve upon. So along those lines, over your career, you can see your own personal growth from designer to product leader. So what advice would you have for others looking to transition into more of a leadership role? Yeah, I think, I mean, it, it really depends on which angle you're coming at it from, because I think there will be different organizations. And to Mike's credit, he put a lot of emphasis and importance on the role of design from the very early days of the company. Uh, so I think you definitely need a supportive environment to be able to maneuver it and put yourself in a position where you can influence the broader product or whatever area you're looking to impact the most. I think product leadership, like any other area of leadership, hinges on really good, really excessive communication. And in product specifically, because you're almost the bridge between engineering and technology and sort of the business aspect. So you're really playing middleman between expectation management with a CEO and, you know, some kind of engineering lead within your org, or if you have a CTO, then you're sort of playing liaison between those people. And I think a really good way to sort of understand whether you're fit for this role, because I think there's a huge uh, fit question, is how good and how patient are you when it comes to communicating? And you can practice this in whatever capacity you're in. If you happen to be the only product designer in a small team, pay attention to how you could maybe look at what your role is and how you can expand on some of the things that you're really good at. So there are you know, there are product leaders who are more business oriented, there are product leaders that are more technology oriented, and there are product leaders like myself who are more design oriented. And I think it helps to know which area you fall under, and then using that as a place of strength to lead from. So I think it, I mean, it hinges on communication at the end of the day, you have to understand that you probably won't be able to do a lot of the day to day of design, uh, like you used to be able to before. So a lot of uh, leadership comes with, um, with, you know, managing a team with understanding and sort of managing their time and managing a lot of the product delivery schedules, which can be very stressful. And so I think it's beneficial to look at it in baby steps before sort of taking the leap. Uh, But when you do, I think it's really beneficial to have a really supportive executive team. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's critical. And so I guess kind of along those lines and and all those experiences today, you're the founder and CEO of Dot Health. So can you tell us, you know, a lot more about what Dot Health is (laughs) and what really motivated you to start that? Yeah, Dot Health, the roots of this go back actually back to 2015 when I was still at Well, very much still at Well Simple and leading not one but two teams there. And it started out as, you know, like all good startups, started out as a personal project looking to help someone out. And I was helping a, a friend uh, whose dad was diagnosed with late stage 
cancer, track his own cancer marker progress. It was a very limited use case. It was a very basic app. V0 of Dot Health was little more than a spreadsheet, which took the information from the client and then visualized it in some way. That's all it was doing. And it really clicked for me when this person who was going through chemotherapy, his entire oncology team started looking at his Dot Health profile every time they would see him. He would come and sit down and they would like log into his, he'd shared it. So they would like log into his Dot Health profile and they would look at it and they would that would be part of his consultation. And I think there was a huge aha moment for me where I realized that this had applications beyond what I was using it for, which was just to inform the client. Where it lives today, and I think it's a gaping hole in the health tech market today, is Dot Health is really enabling easier access to your own personal health information. So we create a platform for you to be able to hook up not just your clinical information, like your own lab work and your medical imaging, but also your personal health and wellness information, like your sleep patterns and your activity and your blood glucose levels if you're a diabetic and measuring it constantly. And there doesn't exist a platform that does this today. So that's re really where we sit. We've had, I mean, this overwhelming amount of response. We've been profitable since month one. It's been just this incredible journey where we've very, at once quickly and slowly realized what a dire need this is for so many people within our city and broadly across Canada. That's sort of where we sit. We allow you to be the CEO of your own health. Wow, that's really cool. And so I, I guess like what's it been like designing a product in the healthcare space? I imagine there's some additional <laughs> challenges that you guys have faced that, you know, maybe other startups don't face. So it's awesome to hear that it's been profitable since since month one. But what's that whole process been like for you guys? Um, it's been uh, it's been very interesting. This is my first health tech venture. So it was a lot of learning that I had to do both, you know, before I had even started the company and after I had decided to quit well simple and do this full time uh, it was a lot of learning and i have to give kudos to the community in this city not just the tech community but also the city of toronto has been hugely helpful for me the provincial governments around the ministry of health and long-term care have been super helpful in helping me understand and explore a lot of this and really what i've learned is there's a lot more regulation around this but also that a lot of your and i mean not just me but other companies that are tackling the space a lot of those fears around regulation and privacy can be alleviated if you can stay very close to consumers which is the holy grail of good consumer product building anyway. So I think it just like drives the point home a lot. For example, for Dot Health, we take the standpoint where we have a direct-to-consumer offering. That's how we operate. And legally, that's the easiest position to operate from. And I think that was really beneficial to learn very early on because it helped us, you know, it saved us from unnecessary pivots down the road. I think lots of health tech startups go the way of insurance or employers or some B2B operation. And I mean, the Canadian startup space, for whatever reason, seems a little bit allergic to consumer products, save a few like very obvious successes, some of which I, if I can say I've, I've been a part of. So, um, so that's, that's been really, I mean, I'm sure the learnings, there's many more to come, but a lot of them have been around the privacy and legal angle and understanding that it really comes from a place of fear for most people. It's not even a, it's not difficult to do. This is not a technological problem or hurdle that we have to overcome. We've known how to encrypt data and transfer it securely for decades now. It's really more of a fear management thing, which has been super, super interesting to manage across multiple stakeholders. Yeah, it's really interesting, you know, to hear you point that out as like the biggest challenge or I guess like cultural challenge almost to, to overcome. And so Dot Health is, you know, currently in beta and you guys are growing. Mm -hmm. How have you approached, I guess, getting the word out there and getting some of the first users? 
We have totally the opposite problem of most startups, which is both good and bad. I think it puts a lot of pressure on us. But we have a wait list that's in the several thousands of clients looking to join our platform. And we have an invite-only model where we actually go through a lot of provisioning for clients that are looking to come onto our, to our platform because we have an idea for the perfect type of client for our service. It's the person who sees more than four healthcare providers in any given year. The average Ontario resident and across Canada, uh, Canadians see about 2.3 different healthcare providers a year. We're looking at almost double that. So we have a very obvious niche and we've had a lot of, we've been really lucky with a lot of really positive press attention. So we've spent zero dollars on marketing and have really attracted most of our clients either through referrals or press or word of mouth. There's a very big gaping hole in this market. So I think that speaks for itself because we really never have to pay for clients to join uh, join our platform. So right now we're actually in, in a really really great position where we can pick and choose when to turn on the taps for a large number of clients to join. Wow, that's really cool. And I mean, congrats on building something that people want to use and finding a, a way to solve the obviously the big glaring hole that, that exists. Thank you. Thank you. It's exciting and nerve wracking at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. I can I can only imagine. And so you you know you mentioned working with a variety of stakeholders across you know mm. legal or healthcare. So how do you approach building those partnerships with with whether the province or the city or just just anybody that you know obviously has an impact on on the business and the end user. Yeah, I think partnerships are a really important part of our business. What really helps us as we navigate this, if I can call it a minefield in health, is understanding that our loyalty at the end of the day lies with the user. And so we will make any decision and we will pursue any partnerships that help make that better. And we will move away from partnerships or areas that uh, detract from that mission. And so the way we've really approached it is looking at ways that make the existing process that we do of collecting, collating, displaying a lot of this information and doing a lot of the templating work easier. And how much more can we automate out of it? So there are some parts of our process still that are very manual and that have a lot of human involvement that are very expensive because of that. The way we approach partnerships is looking at institutions and organizations that have the ability and capacity to move very quickly. It doesn't benefit us if we're a tiny little startup that moves really fast, that has so many people, that has hundreds of people signing up every day. And it doesn't help us if we're going to go get stuck in a partnership with a giant institution that's going to move at a snail's pace. So I think identifying that really early on has been really important. And then using all the resources that are available to us. So we've used, we're a Mars client and we've used Mars and their network of uh, hospitals to our benefit quite a bit. We also belong to the biomedical zone, which is part of St. Mike's and Ryerson's joint venture to incubate health-related startups. Uh, and we've been part of the DMZ. And we've used sort of each of these areas and their connections into the health space to, you know, not just build the partnership, but even get our foot in the door um, with some of these big organizations, which have so much bureaucracy and red tape. Yeah, absolutely. And so just on a, on a culture and I guess like team building perspective earlier, you had briefly mentioned, you know, the need to increase inclusion and, and greater diversity within startup teams, you know, both mm -hmm. within Toronto and, and globally, really. So mm -hmm. how, I guess, are you approaching creating that open culture and, and that kind of team at Dot Health? Yeah, so we're a tiny team now, which uh, which helps because we can we can control almost everything down to the T. Uh, but we're really careful about some of the values that we project with our clients, the way we handle 
personal health information for them and integrity as part of the business value. Um, we've also, and this could be, I actually haven't figured this out entirely, but we have had a huge influx of female applicants in the company without even really advertising for anything. And we're a very technology focused company. So it's very interesting for me because of all the companies that I've been at, the opposite has been true. Right now, our lead engineer is female. Um, our lead ops is female. I'm leading the company and I'm female. And we actually have a really interesting female heavy company right now, which honestly, we just got to by just looking for the best people for the job. And, you know, that's the kind of anecdote that you hear people say to fix your diversity issues or whatever. But, you know, before now, it's never really worked for me. And I haven't quite figured out how that is. It could be the space. I think health is an industry that is more attractive to women who are looking either to have a very positive impact or doing some kind of social good. And it's been interesting sort of crafting that. And, you know, every time you create an organization, it, it becomes becomes more than just you and the sum of all of you. It becomes its own organism almost and you have to treat it as such. And so we're really developing this and keeping an eye on it as it grows, both in the way we communicate with press or media or in speaking engagements, but also largely focused on how we communicate with our clients and how we can set that up moving forward. Wow, that's awesome. And so I guess looking to the future, what's next for Dot Health? Like what are some of the things you're planning on tackling in the next couple months or years? We're looking at really establishing Canada as a leader in this digital health revolution that is soon to come. I think we're at the cusp of it. I think we're, I subscribe to the Steve Case philosophy of three waves of technology, where now we're at the beginning of the third wave. And I think health tech will play a huge role in it. And we see ourselves as really pioneering that shift. Uh, there's not a lot of health tech, successful health tech that happens in Canada, and we want to be that breakout success story. Um, you'll see some announcements come in in the press in a few months, but a lot of what we're looking to do is obviously, you know, open our service to all Canadians, looking at ways that we can help bridge the gap between some of the disjointed areas of our current healthcare system, which is about 70% public, 30% private, and how we can really be the transfer protocol for digital personal health data transfers between any of these points over the course of many years. Our offering today sits in the consumer, um, consumer endpoint. We see lots of other applications of our technology that we can layer on on top of it. Uh, and we're really excited to take this, you know, not just nationwide, but global someday. That's amazing. I'm really looking forward to following the Dot Health story throughout this year. And congrats again on, on launching your own startup. Thank you. I appreciate it. So changing topics, what were some of the most recent apps you've downloaded or used recently for either personal or professional life? With Dot Health, we use sort of like my trusted suite of tools. I'm a huge fan of Trello. Uh, I obviously love Slack. We integrate GitHub into pretty much everything, and we use Quip for document sharing. What I've recently used sort of personally and sort of work-related, uh, there's a new writing app called Bear. It just won uh, an Apple Design Award, and it's a this like distraction-free, like really clean, integrated app between desktop and mobile, and I'm really liking it. I kind of want it to have a team plan so I can move us over from Quip somehow because I think it, I actually think it is it is a it is a better product and it does better integration across multiple platforms. I'm also just a sucker for writing apps, so this is this is a really good one. I also just finished. I don't know if you guys are into Monument Valley. Um, there's a new Monument Valley that's out, Monument Valley Two, and I just beat it yesterday, and it was beautiful, of course, and I really really loved it. Highly recommend it. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard really good things about Bear, and I played the first Monument Valley, but I haven't had chance to get around to the second one yet. It's really good. It's very it's different in ways that you wouldn't expect, which is the best kind of different. 
So any recommendations on some great content that you've used or come across lately? I recently got introduced to uh, Two Dope Queens, which is a podcast. It's a comedy podcast by Phoebe Robinson and Jessica Williams. And I really like it. Again, it's like very unexpectedly funny and surprising because they'll bring in different comics every segment. I also really like, uh, I'm a huge Snapchat fan and I really like Refinery29 and the way they're doing some of their Snap stories on there. I find most of Snapchat is like too focused on like, random Kardashian media and Refinery29 takes a totally different approach. It's Kardashian free. It's like, you know, it's very well produced and it has really interesting, like oftentimes very funny content. And then I really like 99U. I've always liked them and I almost always go to their conference that happens in May in New York, but they also do a huge content side of it, which, you know, they produce a lot of content, original content in their newsletter and a magazine that they send out to subscribers four times a year. And uh, they have just really in-depth, very authentic, authentic, very sort of BS-free stories from just leaders within the design community uh, and otherwise. So I, I really enjoy their stuff. Yeah, absolutely. They put out a lot of good stuff. And they actually uh, also publish books as well with, with some of that content. I've got a few of those and they're really great. Mm-hmm. No, they're awesome. I think everything from their conference to their blog is just very well produced and it shows there's a lot of uh, design energy that goes in it. So we've talked about a lot of different things throughout the course of the episode, but do you have any last thoughts or personal mottos that you live by and you think other people should know about or could draw inspiration from? One thing that I've lived by sort of since my iPad days is to learn to ask for what you want. I think we often, uh, you know, either don't say what's on our mind or don't take the risks because we're afraid or, you know, we wait for that promotion to come to us because we feel like we deserve it, but we're not ready to say it. And what I've really learned is you have to ask. You need to learn it because nobody's going to come in and and teach you. There's no class for learning to ask for what you want. So it's really a little bit of a journey of self-discovery and it served me really well. Absolutely. That's some great advice. And I couldn't think of a better way to end the episode. Uh, Huda, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It was amazing to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Well, that's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening. And we hope you'll join us again soon. Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as on the web at hacktostart.com. We honestly couldn't do this show without your awesome support. So if you liked what you heard, feel free to share it on Twitter or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and until next week.